The blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. With the podcast, it gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. I'm Adam. And today we have another album review for you, and one that, honestly, I'm shocked has taken us this long to get to. Yeah. Uh, I think we kind of thought that we had already done this band at one point, but we had we hadn't. No, uh, there's there's multiple albums we could have done from this band, but this is a great one to do as well. Uh, so we are going to do the 1994 sophomore album "Purple" by the Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, it's a band that I know Adam and I both loved growing up. Uh, we've mentioned many times we actually did get to see them live. Um, in probably the late 2000s, uh, yeah. back when Scott Weiland was back with the band before they mm-hmm. finally ousted him for good, yeah. Um, and before we unfortunately lost him, um, and it was a great show. They they sounded great live. They, it, it was, was a, it was a, oh my god, it was, it, it was wonderful. It was good. It was really really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, at a venue in Prim, Nevada, uh, which is right by the California border. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was a fantastic concert, man. They just you kind of forget just how many damn good songs Stone Temple Pilots has until you just play it and you're like, oh my god, they're just banger after banger. Uh, all right, so the uh, well, let's kind of talk about this, uh, Adam. What do you remember of the album from when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean specifically, I mean I remember I remember looking. You see, like the the album cover, it's like a baby riding a Chinese dragon horse thing or whatever it is mm-hmm. um but like specifically i wouldn't say i just remember stone temple pilots mainly from you i remember right. you were a heavy player of the of the band and that, you know they got good rotation on mtv and things like that uh and so i very much listened to these guys and mostly i would say from your influence yeah i was a, i was big into them um especially this album mm-hmm um their their first album core was good but when this one came out this was the first album that i actually bought of theirs and i think i bought core after that um and then i subsequently bought tiny music and i got atlanta but i kind of fell off of the the train because you know music chase change as they often do yeah um but they still put out some you know a lot of really good stuff i mean yeah they're they're i like uh, their first four ones of uh, number you know core purple tiny music number four actually yeah shangri la Da is pretty darn good too so yeah they, they put out a lot of good stuff uh so the album was released on Ju- of june 7th of 1994 um the album was recorded in multiple different places um and, and at multiple different times uh both the songs big empty and lounge fly were recorded uh, the year before the rest of this album and at different places they actually mm-hmm. recorded lounge fly at paisley park uh, which is famously Prince's uh, oh, that's studio cool. up in Minnesota. Um, and there were various other places um, that they kind of f- finished d- different ones. So they kind of assembled this album from different songs that they recorded at different places. Um, it was put out by Atlantic Records, and it was produced very famously by Brendan O'Brien, uh, who we've kind of talked about a little bit. He've done, he's done a whole bunch of def- uh, other bands, ACDC, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine, Bruce Springsteen. So the guys run the gamut. Mm, okay. Um, all right, the personnel. Scott Weiland is the lead vocalist. 
Um, he did a little bit of uh, guitar work and other stuff on on the one, but he is mostly known as the, the sort of eccentric, uh, drug using, yeah, <laughs> yeah. main singer, heroin uh, in particular. Man, the '90s were yeah. all about heroin. Uh, they were, and they took way too many of our favorite singers mm-hmm. from this era. Yeah, a, a lot of them actually. Uh, Dean DeLeo is a the electric and acoustic guitar player. His brother Robert DeLeo is the bass player. Um, and as somebody who spent a lot of time uh, playing bass, I can tell you uh, Robert DeLeo's bass parts are quite deceptively hard to play. Okay. Uh, the dude, I think, is actually like was actually kind of like a a jazz guitarist a little bit, um, at, like growing up, hmm. and he he took that that technique and that ear and moved it over to bass for grunge. And man, does, if you really really pay attention to the bass lines, there's some intricate stuff going on in a lot of this stuff, and he makes it sound easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Eric Kretz uh, played drums. And Eric Kretz was one of my favorite ones because he always goes for the obvious fill. <laughs> he is, his fills were typically a little bit like on the simpler side, but he's a he is a great example of sort of the less is more, where you don't need a crazy weird fill to make it sound good and be impactful. Okay. So like I could always kind of tell, like I could hear something I'm like, ah, oh, that's an Eric Kretz fill. Like that's a that's kind of a it's like it's it's simple but effective, mm-hmm. and that is uh, the band. Other than that, uh, there was a um, a guitar solo uh, on Loungefly that was done by Pierre, Paul Leary, who the name sounds familiar. Um, oh, that's why, because uh, he occasionally is the uh, it's his occasional lead vocalist for the Butthole Surfers. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, and then there's one other musician. Who I will mention at the very end. Okay. Uh, Adam, you got some more fun facts for us? I do have a couple. Uh, This album uh, debuted at number one uh, in the Billboard 200 chart. It remained there for three weeks, uh, selling eventually over six million copies. It's their second best-selling album. Core is the first with over eight million copies. Um, I do, yeah. So apparently that dragon horse thing is called a Quilin or Keelin. Is a Chinese uh, mythological creature that the baby mm. is is writing, um, and this album has hit on various lists uh, of kind of like the greatest ofs. Um, in two thousand and five, uh, it was ranked by Purple. I don't know what that is, but or sorry, Purple's the album. Fucking Adam. Uh, <laughs> in two thousand and five, it was ranked as four hundred and thirty eight in Hard Rock Magazine's um, five hundred greatest rock and metal albums of all time. Uh, it was ranked number 73 on Guitar World's magazine of 100 greatest guitar albums of all time. And in 2019, Rolling Stone ranked the album number 24 on the 50 greatest grunge albums. So, yeah, I, I remember loving Stone Temple Pilots. And, and honestly, they're a band, I feel like, in that grunge area. Yeah, they had some big hits. But a lot of people, you go back and think about it now, a lot of people tend to remember Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and I would say even Soundgarden above these guys but listening to their stuff man these guys are just as good I, I i could see myself listening to more stone temple pilots albums than i can nirvana albums honestly right 
And I think a lot of it had to do with, I don't know if there was like a stigma. I remember very famously, uh, David Spade did a stint on SNL when there, when Stuttle, when STP's first album came out, uh, where he did some little thing on the weekend update where he was like, oh yeah, I heard Stone on Top of Pile's new album. I liked it the first time when they were called Pearl Jam yeah. and kind of made fun of them for kind of sounding like Pearl Jam, which kind of, maybe... I can kind of hear it, but to me, I hear a distinctive vocal, mm-hmm. uh, not just voice, but like a distinctive sound difference yeah. between STP and Pearl. I can hear I can hear a song and tell if it's STP or Pearl yeah. Jam just by kind of listening to the guitar sounds and, and the writing and that sort of thing. Yep, I'd agree. Um, one of the interesting things I found is the one, the more prolific uh, writer on this, not including lyrics, which was all done by Scott Weiland, but m- more of the music was actually written by Robert DeLeo, the bassist, mm-hmm. than anyone else. I, I know he was that, really yeah. the the songwriting force, yeah. or the the driver of stuff. And his brother put in a lot of effort as well. But which it, I find to be really interesting. You yeah. know, and as as a bass player, I really like that. <laughs> yep. Uh, and one thing about uh, Stone Temple Pilots that actually I didn't even realize. Um, so unfortunately, you know, they've had some different. Uh, obviously, yes, they had some troubles with Scott Weiland. Um, they they had went on a hiatus at one point, and then they came back. It was in that 2008 to 2013 mm-hmm. when you, you you and I saw them, which is right. probably probably around 2009 or 10 when we saw them, John, um, or maybe 08. I can't remember. But uh, so obviously, yes, Scott Weiland died in 2015. Uh, for two years in 2013 through 2015, Chester Bennington was yeah. their lead singer. I didn't realize that he ha- was their lead singer for a while. I bet that was a pretty interesting sound. Um, and, but of course, Chester also died. Uh, he died in 2017, uh, from suicide. Yeah. Uh, and so now their lead singer guy is Jeff gut. So I don't really know him at all. I'm curious to sound off. I don't some either, YouTube. but I've heard from other people that he sounds a lot like Scott Weiland. Okay. And so that actually is, uh, a, you know, it's like a pretty good show to go to. It's kind of like if you ever go see, um, journey, yeah. They have that uh, that one guy who just sounds like um, Steve Perry. Steve yeah, Perry. he does. He does. He's so, not exact. He sounds off enough that like I can tell the difference. But I think some people like. I mean, he does. He sounds good though. He sounds really good. Yeah. He and he's. I saw them live with that guy. Yeah. Great singer live. Cool. Dude's got some pipes. Nice. Um. So, uh, I'm I'm happy for the rest of the band that they're still going and, and able to do it because there's definitely like you know guys like our age who still love this music. And oh still yeah. Love hearing it. So yeah, the music's great. Well, uh, I'm ready to dive in, if you are. Let's do it. All right, and we will start off with the first song called Meat Plow. say out of most of the songs in this album this is kind of a lower tier one for me but that's hard to say because i love every song on this album i'm just going to kind of go ahead and say like i could listen to this whole album all the way through without any problems so to say this one is lower tier is deceptive Mm -hmm. i the only thing i have against this one 
I don't particularly like it as an opener. I I agree. Um, and not to spoil, I guess, my final thoughts, but this is a similar with you. Every single uh, song on this album is listenable. And I would honestly flip flop this one and the next one. I agree. I think this next one, uh, because of the way that song starts, yes. would have been a better start to the album. Yeah. And this is this has got a good grunge feel to this song. It's, it feels like a it's a standard, almost like a filler song. It's funny. They're starting off. It feels like a generic filler song for right. STP. But, it, you know, you get a representation of that STP sound. It's a good song. Yeah. It's just not a favorite on the album. That's it. No. And the, the, see, and this thing, I agree. It is a great filler song. It just, to me, it's not an ender. It's not an opener. It it wasn't a single, so it, it yeah. I, I I feel like a, a better it would have been a better second song. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, okay, well, let's actually go to that second song, which um, I believe was one of the singles that they released. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was their second single. Second single, uh, and that is Vaseline. What I love about this, I love the kind of the way it sneaks in, and mm-hmm. so I, I agree that would, that that would make a much better opener to the whole yeah. album to have it sneak in that way. But I like that it kind of kind of builds and builds and builds until, mm-hmm. boom, you get hit with the main lick, and yeah. the main lick is so simple but hypnotic. Badum 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 badum, and they carry that same rhythm over, so you think that it's going to end one way until they kind of do that kind of fun little bend before they they kind of loop back around to the beginning of the lick. Man, every time I kind of like forget that this song is as good as it is until I re-listen to the album, and then I just man, I find myself really jamming out to this. Yeah, uh, similar vibes. It um, it was a popular song. It hit number one on the Billboard mainstream rock charts, uh, but it's a great song from them. Yeah, I do wish it would have started the album, but that's okay. I'm glad I've got it now. Um, Wyland said about the song that it's uh, it's about. Feeling like an insect under a magnifying glass. It's about being stuck in the same situation over and over again. It's about me becoming a junkie. It's about me lying to my first wife and lying to the band about my heroin addiction. Um, so that's, I mean, a, a, a spoiler alert. A lot of these songs are about drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. the, at least a lot of these lyrics are about drugs because that right. was on the forefront of Scott Weiland's mind. Um, and actually, he even confirmed a line in the song came from a misheard lyric. He heard the song, his parents would pl- uh, play the song Life in the Fast Lane, mm-hmm. and he heard Flies in the Vaseline. Uh, and so <laughs> he turned that into the song, Flies in the Vaseline, we are. Yep. I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's. I mean, it moves quick. I mean, it's just under three minutes, but it feels like even faster than that at times. Right. Um, but it's great. This is one of, this is an STP, you know, all-time great hit. It, you know, it would make any... Stone Temple Pilots mix or any grunge yeah. mix, this should be on there. I imagine with uh, with the, it, it does take a little bit for for the song to build up for the actual thing sure. starts. It's probably like a good twenty to thirty seconds. So really, the song is really only about two and a half minutes. Yeah, maybe that's why so. I felt it was short. But it is. It's great. It's a great feel of the song. You're right, and everything, just like that catchy, the da 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 da. You just, you're right. It's hypnotic. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next song called Lounge Fly. Do you know? I can't get- 
Well, if you grew up in the mid '90s and you watched MTV at all, you definitely heard this song all the time, almost every day. Uh, and that's yeah. because the intro of the song was used for the uh, theme for the MTV News, the, like the news break segments that they did in the mid '90s. I can't help but like envision that MTV kind of you know cut in. With every this, time I hear this, this I, yeah. hear, I see Kurt Loder in my head. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> fucking Kurt Loder. <laughs> this song is awesome though i i might like it more than vaseline i don't know man this is definitely a top tier one um it's got yeah like a different vibe to it but in a great way and it goes into like an acoustic strumming at one point as well it to me this song has a little bit more of an epic yeah feel it takes we have it's it's longer it's it's about a little over five minutes Mm -hmm. probably the longest really the longest song um on the album Mm -hmm. but what I love about it is they explore a lot of sonic sounds in this. You're right. They go yeah. to an acoustic section. The drums, he's using more toms during the thing. It feels yeah. a little bit more bombastic. Um, yeah, every this is another one where every time I get to it, it just it and it feels a little bit more emotional too. Yeah. Um, I feel I I I just get a little bit more emotional listening to this song than the other ones even though it's still it's still kind of heavy and it's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of it's it's rock element to it it feels more like an epic story than anything um yeah i looking into the lyrics it's about basically it's like a a love song it's a you know it's one of them it's about it's about a woman and that she's his everything that's basically what it is i mean again maybe that could be heroin right. um i think a lot of the times he writes her it could be short for heroin heroin i'm not gonna lie i'm not i'm not even kidding i think that's <laughs> kind of a thing he does uh, but yeah, I mean, this is wonderful, wonderful song. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the next one, which uh, is their was their third single off the album, and I might argue probably their best known, yeah. bi- biggest hit off I'd of agree. any of their albums actually, uh, and that is Interstate Love Song. So I remember a time when uh, I kind of got sick of this song because it, it was played it really, a lot. It was played a lot, but I'm not there anymore. I yeah. still enjoy. This is to me is one of the great grunge songs. If if I had to do a list of ten greatest, you know, we we have done a top <laughs> ten grunge songs. We did. We did a top ten grunge songs. But if I had to do like iconic or well-known ones as opposed to like personal favorites which is kind of what we did with that one uh with the top 10 grunge um but i would say this one if if i had to pick a song to represent stone temple pilots it would probably be interstate love song Um, yeah it's best known i I don't know if it is my favorite but yeah it's great no you're right it's not my it's not even my favorite on this album but if i if i if i've got to pick one to represent the band um, like yeah. in the in the world of grunge, I think it would probably pick this one. I love the acoustic uh, uh, with the slide guitar kind of intro that just kind of again leads us into that that big. <laughs> they have really good guitar hooks and yeah. licks, and and uh, you know that uh, 
that really kind of draw you in. And this song, you know what? You know what this song kind of reminds me of? It's sort of like, this is going to sound weird. I like this. It's like a grunge country song. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I mean, I, I, can, I, I guess so. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to explain why, that, why I'm getting that connection, but um, I, still, I still really like this song. I, uh, I'm going to go back and re-listen to our top 10 grunge songs. Um, that was actually one of our first like top tens that we ever did. Yeah. Uh, that, the, the very first one we did was, uh, cause we were at the LA comic con or the long beach comic con and we did like top 10 heroes and villains. Right. Um, just cause we were trying to fill out some space, but the first like actual top 10, once we got them into our regular rotation was top 10 grunge songs. So I'm going to listen to that. I'm excited about that. And the, all right, this is this is a perfect representation of Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, this song hit number one on the mainstream rock chart. It actually replaced Vaseline was number one, and then this song replaced it, uh, and it was on for 15 weeks. And then you add that was a record at that time, um, and so it, that with Vaseline, it had they had 17 straight weeks at number one on that chart because of those two songs. Uh, it also hit number two on the modern rock chart. Um, it was named in 2009, it was named the 58th best hard rock song of all time by VH1. Uh, according to Wyland, the lyrics are about the troubles he was having with his girlfriend at the time. Um, the words are about the lies I was trying to conceal while making the purple record. Uh, apparently all that. There's a music video. It's got this washed out. I think I saw this a lot on MTV. Yeah. Washed out look of the band with this kind of a silent film style guy with this really long nose. Um, kind of mm-hmm. running around like being chased by something maybe or chasing something. Um, and his nose get, kind of grows longer throughout the video uh, to kind of symbolize the theme of lying in the song and the song mm. lyrics. So, uh, and that music video was directed by Kevin Kerslake. Uh, he did Come As You Are and Lithium by Nirvana, those music videos, Cherub Rock by Smashing Pumpkins, Fading okay. To You by Messy Star, Brain Stew by Green Day, and many, many others of like kind okay. of that genre. So, nice. But the song, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, amazing song, and it absolutely should be on every single grunge list. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next song called Still Remains. Adam, I've always seen this song as a love song. It is. It totally. You look at the lyrics. Uh, Take a bath. I'll drink the water that you leave. If you should die before me, ask if you can bring a friend. Like th- this guy loves this person. It's to- it's, yes. it's it's a it's a damn good love song. It is. And actually, there was probably a time, and maybe I could make the argument for you even now. This one was my favorite song on the album. Okay. And, and it was kind of it was kind of one of those like. You know, we have those sort of inside yourself songs that really sort of make you like think and you just sort of just kind of like introvert your in, into yourself. Mm-hmm. This was kind of one of those songs, which is weird because it's pretty heavy, um, yeah. but it's not fast paced. It's pretty slow. Yeah. Um, it's got a pretty like a slow walking pace, I would say, to mm-hmm. the song. And I used to just this. I used to just love the song. I still love the song. Yeah. But like it was it was my favorite one on the album for a long time. 
Yeah, even though, yeah, right, it's got the heavy distortion, the the slower pace really works. Um, you're getting good flow so far with this album. Um, yeah, the love song feel to it. I almost even almost got like a haunting sound to it at mm-hmm. times. Yes. Um, yeah, it's got that darker, darker bit to it, but it's great. It's a great song. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next song, which is called Pretty Penny. Immediately, I'm drawing connections to Nirvana's Nevermind, uh, where you get a kind of an acoustic song halfway through, and then you kind of get something similar towards the end, which we kind of got with Nevermind. Um, but that's the thing I do like about grunge bands is, yet they can go heavy and they can go acoustic, and it still feels like them, and it doesn't feel out of place. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick a least favorite song on the album, it would probably be this one. Oh, okay. I'm um, not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd agree. That's fine. I like this one. I don't love this one. Yeah. I don't skip it when it comes up. I sing along with it. Uh-huh. But if uh-huh. I had to rank them, I would probably put this one lowest. I mean, it is the, the most different feel of any of the songs, so I can d- kind of see that. Um, it almost acts like an interlude, uh, like seriously. Yes. Yeah, or like, like you're, if you had the cassette, it's like the end of side one. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Exactly. Like, okay, you got one side done, now you can flip it over, and now you're kind of back to the more harder stuff afterwards. But yeah, so it's kind of this interlude in between them. Um, hit number, it wasn't even a single, but it hit number 12 on the mainstream rock chart. Uh, oh. So that's kind of funny. Um, and according to Scott Weiland, the song was his last desperate attempt to prove to himself that he was not a drug addict. I'm not really sure what that means, um, <laughs> where the desperate, where that part of that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like it. I think I think this song and that interlude feel fits really well into the flow of the album. And this album, other than like what we already mentioned, flip Vaseline to start, and then this would be like a perfect flow album. <laughs> I I agree. I think the placement of this song is yeah. exactly where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we you know even though we slowed down a little bit with Still Remains, it still has a lot of heavy, good distor- distorted guitar, yeah. um, a lot of volume. And then we're bringing it down. And I, if this wasn't the end of side one on the cassette, because I can't remember, because by this time I think I was buying CDs. Sure. Um, then it should have been. Because, um, again, because this makes me think of Nevermind. Because the first version of Nevermind I ever had was actually the cassette mm-hmm. um, before we actually had like a CD yeah. player or whatnot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the end of the end of side one of Nevermind, um, I think, was like Polly. Yeah. Uh, oh, want a cracker. Yeah. And then I the mean, end yeah, of the last well. one was something in the way. and both the, So both sides ended with something acoustic. And here mm-hmm. they've kind of done something similar. So I'm assuming if it wasn't the end of side one, I'm assuming you know, it should have been. Because mm-hmm. that it does give it kind of like a nice little feel of, yeah. are right, we're bringing this down. Okay, now you're going to flip it over. Now we're going to start over with something uh, a little bit heavier. So let's go ahead and talk about that next one uh, called Silver Gun Superman. Yeah, I know it was mine. Away, right 
So I would probably personally lump this around the same spot as kind of Meat Plow in that yeah. it's a great filler song. I actually think I like this one better than Meat Plow. Yeah, I not by a lot, but just by 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 a little bit. Um, it's a longer song. I kind of get lost in it sometimes, like zoned out in it, and not necessarily that that's a bad thing. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put this top tier. Sure, I, I yeah, I'd probably give it middle of the tier of the album, but sure. Um, but that's still a good thing as we both established. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if somebody yeah, picked got- this song out, I would still be like, hell yeah, let's listen to Silver Gun Superman. Exactly. Uh, it's a uh, it's a heavy distortion, obviously, yeah. especially coming off of of um, the acoustic song before that. But it works, it works well. I really like the sound of it. Um, definitely, I think the song is about drugs because a silver gun is apparently slang for the hypodermic needle. Uh, it's a it's a, it's a silver mm-hmm. gun of your shooting into your veins, um, and so he's the silver gun Superman because he can just do all the the drugs he wants. <laughs> nope, N- nope. <laughs> Time nope. told on that one. Yeah, um, unfortunately, but you know, it, it's actually also kind of interesting. The song kind of devolves at the end. You, right. you kind of hear the the the, the de evolution. They even kind of have a laughter at the end of it. It's kind of strange, but it's it's interesting. I I actually I, I that's probably my favorite part. Not but okay. not not that the chaos. It's it's that it devolves. Yes, because um, it ends in such a weird way that I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I like the weird, the sort of you know when somebody does something unexpected like that, I I usually dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always found this one to be a little long. I feel like the the bridge is particularly like it's like a long build up in the in the bridge in that one. So mm-hmm. um, I can I can understand you know why the length. Anyway. Okay, so we're gonna go on to the next one, which surprisingly and unsurprisingly was the first single off this yeah. album, and that is because this song was actually included in their MTV Unplugged performance, which was mostly songs from their first album, because this one had not even come out yet. Mm-hmm. But that song got a lot of radio play off of their Unplugged album, so it made sense that they would release this version uh, as the first single, and that is the song Big Empty. So I know I've heard from some people that they liked the MTV Unplugged performance better than the studio version. Uh I disagree. I think the studio version is more impactful because we, first off, we start with our acoustic guitar and what even sounds like an acoustic bass. Like Mm. it has a little bit of a twang to it that makes me think that it's not just a straight electric bass until... The chorus kicks in and they throw some distorted guitar yeah. and really contrast the the verse to the chorus and it's still it's it still feels heavy without being overloading and even when they kind of go back into like there's like a little slide guitar solo at one point mm-hmm. they slip back into the acoustic I love the up and down of this song I really do 
Yeah, I agree with you actually completely. Um, I like the acoustic version. We all like the acoustic version. And maybe it feels sometimes with those like live acoustics, you feel like you get more emotion sure. from the lyrics out of that. Because there's I think, honestly, there's a little bit more emphasis on the lyrics because they're not maybe hidden by some of that distortion. But the way you put it, that contrast and the back and forth that we get um, in this song works great. And that's why I also like the studio version better. Uh, than the than that MTV Unplugged one. Um, it actually also appeared in the 1994 soundtrack to the film The Crow. That's, uh, so I remember on, that. That's right. On that movie. Uh, it actually it won an MTV Movie Award for the best song featured in a movie, uh, okay. being in The Crow. And it hit number three on the mainstream rock charts. So, yeah, it's... Um, and another song that I'm pretty sure is about drugs. Uh, looking at it, I'm pretty <laughs> damn sure it's about. Scott Weiland said it was about being on tour for so long and being ready to just quit and go home for some rest. I think he wanted to go home and do some heroin because uh, I, I look at the lyrics. I'm pretty certain what it's about. But the song is fantastic, and it's the back and back and forth that mm-hmm. contrast that you're getting. I would actually probably call Big Empty my favorite song on the album, and that's a uh, absolutely fair, absolutely fair. That's a great song. All right, well let's move on to the next one called. Unglued. Again, a lot of times kind of forget that this song is coming up until it does. I actually really like this song. And I think the reason I like it, one, it doesn't really sound like anything else in there. It's a little bit more fast paced. It has a slight punk feel to it. Not overly. It's it's just got a little bit of that punk flavor. It's kind of like um, if you've ever if you ever heard the album um, Down on the Upside from oh, yeah. Soundgarden. There's that one song called Ty Cobb that's in the middle of there. Yeah. It's really punky and really Hard-headed fast. Fuck you all. <laughs> yeah. And it just it feels like it, it like it doesn't belong but it's still like fun. And this is kind of mm-hmm. it's similar. I'm not I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing, but it's similar where it's a little bit more fast-paced. It's a little bit like it it's really kind of uh, almost like boppy punk and I really mm-hmm. I really like. I mean, the song itself is fine. I just, I, I really like the placement of it because it kind of comes out of nowhere, especially since we just had the kind of s- slowed down feel of Big Empty. Yeah, um, I agree. And this one is, a, yeah, it's a harder, faster, punkier feel. I definitely agree with that. Hit number eight on the mainstream rock chart. I really like the chorus. Like, yeah, the song is fantastic. It's about excess, uh, like drug use, more and more until things become unglued. Like that's basically how the song is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. It said this on Wikipedia. I couldn't find any backup, like if this is true or not. Um, but it said apparently this was the last song that Scott Weiland had performed before he died. Like this was the last song he did live. Oh, okay. So I, I don't know about the truth on that one, but that's that's what Wikipedia says. And all right, there's one thing I've learned: never doubt the internet. It's just right. Just trust <laughs> the internet all, all the times. Time. All the time. But yeah, this is a good one. I'd say almost. Almost a little bit more filler style for me, right. but in a good way. In a yeah. enjoying this song, and I mean it's short. It's only about two and a half minutes, yeah. uh, and two and a half minutes long. So I, I think it it fits that sort of like sort of pseudo punk feel. It's yep. faster. It's quicker. It gives you exactly what you need for as like is exactly as long as you need it, and then moves mm-hmm. on to the next one. And so shall we to the next song called Army Ants. 
kid i kind of just accepted as filler and i mm-hmm. think has grown on me the older i get okay um i i really do kind of enjoy this one i, I would put it pretty much mid-tier out of all the songs on here but i really do enjoy listening to this song it's a it's another solid song i actually would probably put it for me it's kind of down near meat plow i'd probably put it with meat plow is okay. like maybe maybe my least favorite again ep- completely listenable um enjoyable uh, good kind of slow down and speed up within the song itself at times. So it's got a good flow within itself. Um, and I think the song kind of speaks towards Wyland's anger towards how others treated him. Um, like he doesn't fall in line with like, like fall in line like army ants um, and he gets hate for that. And I think this song is about that. It's my thoughts. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's a damn good song. Uh, all right. And that brings us to the final song on the album called kitchenware and candy bars. Send me down the river Send me down the river What I wanted What I wanted What I wanted Is what you wanted So again, I'm going to draw those same uh, comparisons to Nevermind. You know, we end with something in the way on Nevermind, and here we end with this nice sort of really haunting acoustic song yeah. that does have some electric elements to it. The drums come in. There's, you know, in in the kind of the chorus area, that it, it does get a little bit heavier. Um, but that that constant on the acoustic guitar really, to me, kind of gives it its haunting feel. There's a lot of reverb on a lot of the stuff here where it almost mm-hmm. feels like maybe he's he's like it's someone alone like in a i don't know why i'm making this comparison like a like a subway hall or something like that okay um or just like a a big empty decrepit church or something yeah. like like just a big space where it's just him and i, I really give the 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 reverb here really to me gives it a lot of growth maybe or space just a lot of mm-hmm. space yeah i i really like this song i, I you're right the haunting feel of it um the, you, you, we've talked before about how albums, when they end, it's best to ed, end either on a kind of high note, like a hard high note, or a lower note. And this one kind of takes that lower note feel, but it does it perfectly. Yeah. I think this is a great, well, quote unquote, final song. Um, but it's just, you're right. It's got a haunting feel to it. Apparently, Wyland has mentioned that the song is about an abortion that his girlfriend had when they got, uh, that they got pregnant when they were mm-hmm. dating and so they together i guess went and you know she got aborted and that's what uh she got an abortion and that's what uh, this song is about uh allegedly but yeah i think it's fantastic i think it's um you're right wonderfully haunting and just uh, a very very strong end to this album and that's the end of the album <laughs> but is it really no not. of course not because <laughs> uh, this is the 90s and we gotta have a hidden track 
Uh, and that hidden track is called Second Album. The Second Album. Twelve precious melodies worth listening. Hope you enjoy them. Like if it's sung to me. Listen to twelve great tunes playing on your stereo. So here's the thing that I found out about this song. I actually did a, a deep dive into this oh, song. Okay. So the person singing is an, a, a street musician from Seattle named Richard Peterson. That is who's singing the song. Okay. Here's the thing. This is not a song originally made for this album. Second okay. album is literally a song from Richard Peterson's second, second album. Al- <laughs> they literally just lifted it and put it in as their hidden track. Interesting. Um, so Richard Peterson is a street musician who definitely had some kind of learning disability or uh. something, maybe autism or something like that. And he loved Johnny Mathis. Yeah, he mentions Johnny, he mentions the album cover thing too. Yes. So okay. oddly enough, so it also says twelve precious melodies. If 12? you include the hidden track, there are 12 songs on yes. there, and I think that's part of the reason why they used this. It, it even says, including this tr- song or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. So, And that is it. His uh, second album, which I think is called Second Album, has 12 tracks on it. This is actually the opener to his second album, Oh, okay. um, which was from 1986. Um, huh. But it was a... It's, it's, like, you can't find... You couldn't find this album just anywhere. You had to, like, buy it off of him... I think you now you can find some of it on the internet, but that's I'm gonna you know, yeah I'm gonna try and find that. Um, there is a and I'm gonna have to look at it up real quick. There was a whole documentary done about Richard Peterson. I watched some of it. Oh wow! It wasn't great, so I didn't like I couldn't quite get through it. Big City Dick was the name of his. <laughs> okay, his name's Richard. Uh, was the name of the, of the uh, and that was more about his life. So, and, uh-huh. it, uh, but it was like it's like a, a two-hour-long documentary movie about him. Um, he was an interesting character. I don't know if he's still alive or not. Hmm. I don't know. But yeah, they basically just lifted that, and I'm sure they got permission to use it. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, but they basically just lifted that off of his album and put it there because it fit everything about what they were doing. Uh huh. That's funny how they how they found it. I mean. This is the kind of hidden track that I love. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that is just so silly. It doesn't need to fit. It almost feels like a like a joke, and it probably is. Um, but it's just it's beautifully weird. You know, right. I love it. it. Doesn't fit anything like the rest of the album, and I like that. It's just so ridiculous um, that I I I love this one. This this is yeah. the way hidden track should be. I agree. Um, <laughs> I was. I was a little disappointed when I found out that it wasn't necessarily like made for this album. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it still works, and I get it, and it's still fun to listen to. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of our album. Uh, Adam, your final thoughts on Purple? This is um, gonna reinvigorate me to go back and listen to probably at least the probably the first five those five albums of uh, SDP that I've got because. This is a phenomenal album album from top to bottom. Every song is at, at at the worst 
damn good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every single song is damn good. The flow, as we talked about, is great. You can listen to this one really well all the way from top to bottom. Um, yeah. Hidden track. Perfect use of a hidden track. And honestly, this kind of reminds me that sound that Stone Temple Pilots. I don't think even this is their only album like this where every single song is listenable. Yeah. I want to go back and listen to Core and Tiny Music and Number 4 and Shangri-La Da and I'm going to do that probably the second that we're done here. <laughs> I've got to go do some grocery shopping and I think Stone Temple Pilots gets a little bit forgotten um, and hopefully people will remember just how good they do. Yeah, I really couldn't put it uh, much better. Um, the worst song on this album is still better than some of the best songs on other albums we've talked about. Yeah, uh, fantastic from tar- stop uh, from top to bottom, start to finish. A great representation of that grunge sound that came out of the '90s, where you have the really heavy guitars, but really melodic uh, singing and and almost kind of pop sounding melodies and stuff like that. And this yeah. one will always. Uh, be in my rotation and honestly if i i have not created one but if i created a stone temple pilots uh playlist this entire album would probably (laughs) just go in it along with you know some of my favorites some other ones but this entire album i could just listen to anytime yeah yeah, it's, it's kind of how I did with, uh, I made a best of sound garden and I think all of super unknown just got dropped in <laughs> just got it. dropped in yeah <laughs> yep I could I would totally end up doing that too All right, well, that was our review of the album Purple by Stone Temple Pilots. Please join us next time as Adam and I go to church. We break down the 1999 film Dogma, discuss the 80s and 90s TV show Highway to Heaven, and recast Dogma using actors of today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.